Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. And this is a very special and rare episode of the Duras Sisters podcast because we are saying screech to the feminism series and we are having a little bit of a recap because Mission Chicago just ended this weekend and Rihanna wants to, and I want to discuss it. And we decided to take a look at feminism behind the scenes, if you will. So this episode is going to be about all the amazing women who make Star Trek happen all the way from, I mean, we've been discussing the actors the whole time, but this also includes directors, designers, producers, producers, camera people, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as well, we will be diving into the, like, so not only from like how the show is created aspect, but also just from a fandom aspect and give a little love to the fans because I think... That was really a theme of this weekend and something even on Twitter I felt. And if I felt love on Twitter, you know <laughs> that it must be really strong. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's like uh, Evan Evangora said, who plays Elnor. He said that the Star Trek fandom is the least toxic fandom he's ever met. So, I mean, and we have our problems, yeah. you know, yeah, like we absolutely, absolutely have our problems, but... I do think compared to other fandoms, it's it's very nice. <laughs> it's so fun being a Star Trek fan because there's so many people behind you who really feel the same way and express that love, you know? Yeah, exactly. Well, Rihanna, I want to give the floor to you and just talk about your experience at Mission Chicago this weekend and just any lasting impressions that you had. Sure. Thanks, Ashlyn. Um... I had just the most incredible weekend at Mission Chicago. I got to meet uh, Julian and Giraffe from The Strange New Pod. I also got to meet a lot of their patrons, their wonderful listeners, who were just so incredible and open to me. And I got to participate on one of their podcast episodes. They covered last week's episode of Picard, and I helped them do it, and it was amazing. And then we kicked off the weekend, and I got to see like eight panels there were so many going on I think I cried at like half of them they were just so amazing that sounds really right. moving <laughs> yeah like got to see some really great exciting new clips and um just really I think the best thing about it though was meeting the fans and meeting other people who had listened to us on the Dura Sisters podcast shout out to Russ thank you for finding me and getting a picture together that was a really special moment yes Ratagino for the win <laughs> Yes, and then um, also just thank you to all of you on TikTok who I got to see in person. I got to see a lot of my favorite TikTok cosplayers, uh, Trek Talk, shall we say. So that was really fun. And to meet so many Twitter followers and fans that like, it's so funny. You have to go up and be like, oh, this is at my username. (laughs) And then you know who they are kind of thing. It's just wild to meet people in person. And 
it was amazing. And I specifically, since we're talking about feminism and we're continuing these conversations about the women of Trek, I do want to note that this is probably the most equally balanced gendered con uh, convention I've been to in forever. Like usually it's male dominated. And even when Ashra and I would go to Starfest when we were younger in high school in Denver, it was still, I think, three fourths men. And then yeah. maybe, you know, maybe a little more, but uh, so it's really special to see so many women and non-binary people and just infinite diversity to infinite combinations this weekend in both cosplays and in people, and it was just incredible. So I want to specifically talk about a panel that I attended um, with my partner on Sunday. We went to a panel that was speaking to the women of Star Trek, and it was moderated by Amy I'm Hoff, which she's the media director for Kate Mulgrew and a producer of the upcoming Women of Star Trek documentary, which is amazing I'm that this is happening. I'm screaming. Yeah, we yeah. will absolutely be talking about that in the future. Yes, like we will definitely cover that. Absolutely. And then we have Chase Masterson, who is the infamous amazing Lita from Deep Space Nine. And then Dr. Lucida Rosinas, who is a fan expert and a podcast guest. She's like in love with Bellana, and she was amazing to hear her speak about her. And then um, Jara Hodge, who was on our podcast on our Voyager episode, who of course is a member of Women at Warp podcast. And then um, Kay Roth, who is a Starfleet Admiral at Star Trek Online. So she was literally like, just call me mom. And we're like, okay, mom. <laughs> so that sort of shows you just like how the panel was. It was very amazing and so empowering to be in a room full of people who were listening to them talk about incredible Star Trek women and had the expansion that these women get in Star Trek Online. It was really cool to hear them talk about it. Lita gets a whole backstory in Star Trek Online. That's what Chase Masterson was saying. But it was really impactful to be there and I felt so empowered. And I think this is one of the things that conventions are all about is like to feel like you have a space and the fact that like we're all so interested in one thing that we all came here together and it's just nice to see so many women. Rihanna, thank you for sharing your experience. I feel like I was there with you. I think I succeeded to be the Patrick Swayze ghost of your life. Yes. Um, I was lucky enough to listen to the podcast that Rihanna did with Strange New Pod on Thursday night, which is normally their live episode that was reviewing mm -hmm. Picard. This time they did it live in Chicago, all in person. And Rihanna yeah, was with at them. at the convention center. Yeah, so listening to that podcast really gave me a sense of just the spirit of family that was really happening there. And of course, talking about the episode two of one from Picard was really special. So thank you for joining them, Rihanna, on that. And I yeah. definitely encourage anyone to listen if you've seen that Picard episode. It's a fantastic one. And then also I had a lot of fun on Twitter because almost all of our followers were at Mission Chicago or mm -hmm. retweeting things from Mission Chicago. And so I would see a cosplayer on Twitter and then Rihanna would see them in real life and I'd be like, oh my God, this is, the, <laughs> this is their Twitter. Like we can follow them or, you know, yeah. we can, <laughs> we can tag them in posts. So yeah. Um, I am not at all surprised to hear about how great the community is and I'm so just blessed to be a part of the community. So 
Yeah, well, yeah. I want to specifically thank all of the followers that we gained over Mission Chicago and also just any newcomers to the podcast. Welcome. We're so happy to have you here. And a special shout out to Amy, who I got to meet up with, um, who was lovely and really just wanted a, like, a female to talk Trek with. And I thought that was super special. So we were literally finished the Kate Mulgrew panel and then met up. And that was like crazy because Kate Mulgrew is so inspiring and feminist on her own. So... Yeah, you like just your glow, Rihanna, like post con is just like <laughs> empowered woman, you know? Yes, literally, <laughs> that's how I feel. Like, I'm drinking my own respect women juice this week. Yes, as we all should <laughs> yes. every week. <laughs> so, yeah, one more thing I just want to say about conventions before we move on is I found this really lovely quote from Stuart C. Hellinger who said, it refines the classic nerd to be much more inclusive. There were more women involved in Star Trek conventions. So, like, I just think that that is so cool that, like, it has now become that there's more women almost going to Star Trek conventions now. I do wonder if some of that is because of Discovery. Ooh, I yeah. feel like... Weeded out the Trek bros. Yeah. I mean, maybe, but, <laughs> yeah. like, it, it, but it is a telling even that a lot of the actors who were there this weekend were really touching on, like, political issues and, like, stuff that New Trek gets a lot of slander for, you know? And I think that was really amazing. Um, so, yeah. Just it's interesting. So cool. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Well, yeah. Amazing. I really would love to go next year. I know it's going to be in Seattle, so whoop, whoop. I think yeah. we should all start saving up for that so we can meet Definitely. you there in person. <laughs> that would be amazing. All right, yeah. so let's move on to this second half of our episode, which is going to be all about the women in Trek in every role. We're going to first talk about women podcasters. Rihanna has already mentioned a couple just based off of the panels that she saw. Um, of course, Women at Warp is a awesome podcast that Jara reminded us has been going on for seven years, which mm-hmm. is insane. I mean, that's like nearing the time when podcasting first got started. And yeah. so it's amazing that they've had such a strong voice in the podcast community for so long and such an important voice. They have a very diverse cast. Uh, people who come on and rotate hosting so I just love women at warp we also have to talk about where's Beverly who we also had on on our TNG episode of feminism that was a delight just and Rihanna and I both were freaking out before because that was the first time we had ever had women or like female identifying guests on our pod so really special Besides our mom, but yeah, other podcasts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, I think it's also really great to see two women that have such a strong connection. And it just shows you the power of what that can bring. And then we also have to mention other female-run podcasts like Black Alert Pod. They do an amazing breakdown of Discovery. And I'm like weeping with laughter. Yeah, same. I'm laughing through like the whole thing with joy. and, And also just like learning so much more about discovery and it's amazing yeah exactly and then there's also the sci-fi sisters uh who is another fantastic podcast they got a really epic they got some really epic pictures of mission chicago with tawny newson and also with they got a signed uh banner by david adja who plays book yeah i was like crying at their con vibes but not wrath of con vibes (laughs) although i did see a con noonian seeing at the con that's pretty meta. Yeah. 
But yeah, so we want to just thank our, our fellow female podcasters. Obviously, like those are not the only ones, but definitely the ones that we want to feature. So yeah, thank you for being you and for bringing a rich discussion to this community that is so loved. Absolutely. Thank you, Ashlyn. Um, so I also, we also want to discuss, now we're going to go more into the show itself and talk about behind the scenes of writers, directors, producers, and then, of course, executive the producers, camera yeah. yeah, camera workers and science consultants. So this is a huge field. And I think that often a lot of times there's an article by the Awesome Women Library that it says the unseen women of Star Trek. And I really feel like this is what this section is, is a lot of people don't even realize how many women work behind the cameras. Absolutely. And I also just want to note that a lot of research that we do for this, I cross track with Wikipedia. And it is disturbing to see how many females' names like do not have their own Wikipedia page. Because then when mm-hmm. I Google them separately, it's like they're very well-known and famous in their field, but not enough to have a Wikipedia page. It's really wild. What? Like so, all of like, the males have links, but like none of the women. It's really weird. So like is like Wikipedia sexist? Like that's crazy. I mean, we're all sexist. It so is true. Yeah. I think like of course Wikipedia is accidentally sexist, you know, mm-hmm. because it's like yeah. what are our priorities in getting pages up for? Men. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Let's talk about the amazing women and give them a, a a platform, you know, again, because they're awesome and they need to be known. And of course, first and I just want to say also that since we're talking about women of warp, women, <laughs> I am women of warp. <laughs> since we're talking about women at warp, I want to note that uh, we are also, I found incredible blog posts by Trekkie feminist Jara Hodge, which again, we are oh shouting out. Oh my God. Like she keeps popping up in all these incredible articles I'm finding. Um, and thank you for all your research because you're paving the way for us. So that's, where a lot of my sources come from for today. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's start out. We've already talked about DC Fontana um, a little bit in our original series feminism mm-hmm. episode, but she really was just a pioneer of Star Trek. And I think a personal friend of Jean Ronberry's mm-hmm. um, is how she got the gig, but she was writing all the way through the animated series. So yeah, it's just, it's awesome to have a female's voice in this era where there aren't really too many. Absolutely. Well, you know, also who wrote the animated series is Margaret Adman, um, the Lorelei Signal, which makes so much sense. That's the most famous yes. episode of the animated series. Yes, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Then when we move to Next Generation, we have um, writers like Melinda M. Snodgrass, who wrote Measure of a Man, Message in a Bottle, and that teleplay was also by Lisa Clink. So, like, very exciting to have women like have hands on these episodes like in next generation i think also dc fontana is so known for writing the original series but there is also other female writers who wrote for the original series including jean leslie aroset if i'm (laughs) pronouncing that correctly um she wrote is there in truth no beauty which is again just another beautiful feminist perspective the main woman in it is very strong and she doesn't have a love interest well besides the Elysian or whatever the uh, one that could make you go mad if you see it I can't remember (laughs) yeah yeah so anyway 
it's cool because like we were talking about DC Fontana writing Friday's Child, sometimes having female writers really reflects the episode and says like, wow, there are actually women who look like human or who are acting like humans in this and not like this, you know, sort of male gazy projection of women. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say male gaze, Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Jarahad once again wrote Star Trek Women Writers, a blog post on Trek Radio, and she literally found all of the directors from every Star Trek original series, Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. So it's a wonderful list, and you can go and look at those names and just, like, give them a bow of thanks for all of these incredible episodes, like Encounter at Farpoint was by DC Fontana. Okay! Um, uh, let's see. The Outcast was written by Jerry Taylor, which is wonderful. And Lower Decks was written by Jean-Louise Mathis. So, Amazing. you know, just incredible episodes all the way down the line. And, um... We will be posting all of these links on our Patreon page so you can go and look deeper into all of these incredible sources. But even having a woman writer's perspective is so important because, like I said, the dialogues make the women more human, but it also just makes for some really intriguing episodes that look outside the box in a different way, you know, in a, in a way that maybe has more of a female understanding. Absolutely. I mean, we, like, I'm just amazed at how many of these ideas ended up being things that they took sequels for, you know, like Lower Decks. Yeah. Like, that whole concept from a woman is now an entirely, yes. like, new series. It's amazing. Incredible. Absolutely. Um, I want to talk a little bit now about the directors in yes. Star Trek because that is something else that gets better with time, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, mostly, there are no female directors in the original series, mm -hmm. but in The Next Generation, we do get some, most notably, Gabrielle Beaumont, who did Face of the Enemy, Disaster, and Purgatory Shadow. Gates McFadden directed an episode. Woo! Fantastic. Uh, Kim Friedman. Nancy Malone. Um, she wrote for Voyager. She wrote Coda. And also, uh, that episode happened to be written by Jerry Taylor, which is amazing. Incredible. Um, also in Voyager, we have Allison Liddy and Roxanne Dawson. Just fantastic. And, like, we, we saw Roxanne Dawson in the... Um, in the in, in Enterprise episodes as well, so that's yes. really cool. Yeah, so cool. Um, I think also Hanela Culpepper is notable because she's the first black woman to start a show. Uh, wow. She directed the first three episodes of Picard season one. Um, and then Amazing. also I just want to talk just a little bit about the statistics that we're seeing because obviously it's kind of an exponential growth, you know, with original series having nothing, and then now we're having more and more. Discovery is thought to be a really progressive and, like, edgy show in terms of uh, diversity and inclusion, but still, out of all of the executive producers on Discovery, only four of them out of 14 are female. And I just want to remind people that executive producers are important because they acquire the screenplays for the development. So they help to choose which screenplay they're going with. Then they pitch ideas to the TV commissioners. They deal with the legal, financial, and marketing aspects of the TV series. They are also the spokesperson for the production and have the final say. And this that, that definition is from ScreenScale.com, so thank you for that. Mm -hmm. But I just... just just a little reminder, you know, that there's only four women on Discovery. 
and they're going up against, uh, you know, greats like Eugene Roddenberry, who of course is mm-hmm. the son of Gene, and yeah. Brian Fuller, and Alex Kurtzman, and but anyway, so I, I want to honor, take a second to honor the female directors in Discovery, mm-hmm. um, or yeah, so the the producers that we do have for Discovery are Heather Caden, Gretchen J. Berg, Jenny Lumet, and Michelle Paradise. So thank you yes. for having your voice on this mm-hmm. show. Uh, and then also, um, kind of talking back to directors again, so of all of the episodes of Discovery that we've had, which now we've mm-hmm. had four full seasons, there have been 21 men and eight women directors. Eight for a series with a female lead? Yes. But that's Ooh. more, I feel like that's more than previous shows, though. Actually true, yeah. Like, pretty Compared amazing. zero in TOS, that's incredible. Yeah, and I, like, we're nearing, I feel like that's like a quarter, right? Yeah. 16 maybe like a third it's closer to a third so pretty that's okay so i just want to shout out to lee rose hanella culpepper who stayed on after she directed picard episodes to join for season three and four of discovery Mm -hmm. um martella cunningham maya varillo chloe dumont norma bailey deborah cam meyer and jen mcgowan thank you all for being amazing. amazing and then i'll just continue on with some of these new shows just to again to understand that these are all within the past like five years yeah um is what's happening so on picard only one woman out of 11 um (laughs) is an executive producer okay and that goes to the amazing heather caden she again joins us from discovery holding this show on her shoulders absolutely in picard actually we have a lot of women we have almost half Ooh. There are seven uh, seven directors total. Three of them are women. Again, we have a repeat of uh, Maya Varillo and Tanella Culpepper. And then we have Leah Thompson joining us for Picard. And Leah Thompson, like all of them, they're just creating such beautiful work in Picard. And I'm loving what this new season is bringing us. Absolutely. And then kind of finishing up with Lower Decks, um, Kim Ardent is the only consistent female director out of four. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's, I mean, only four directors for two seasons is pretty tight-knit, you know? Yeah. And then for Prodigy, we have two executive producers. Um, Once again, Heather Caden, and then Katie Krentz is new to the executive producers. And only one of the five directors is a woman, and that is Olga Yuvena. Okay, Olga, yes. Olga Yanova. Nice. Um, so just, I feel like it is better. Um, and I also noticed on Prodigy, they had a very diverse cast um, as far as the designers and um, like like animators and things like that. That's amazing. Ashlyn, thank you. I think it's really interesting to see what it's like now. And then I'm going to go back here to to TNG and our sort of like split of new Trek and old Trek and TNG episodes, 95.5% were men directed. Whoa. Yeah. That's, that's quite a lot. Insane. Yeah. Deep Space Nine was 96% men. Oh my God. Um, Voyager was 95.2% men. Once again, with a female lead, we're still having men direct and yeah, it's just wild. And, and then Chakotay, Chakotay and and Janeway still didn't get together. I don't understand. Yeah. Sorry, I'm. I, that, that, maybe it's because they're like, oh, it's a man, like a man's directing. Maybe it's like, or they're like a man is, is yeah. below her. I don't know. 
Ugh. No. <laughs> I won't think about it. I'm just bitter yeah. and I'll bring it up at any time. Yeah. <laughs> but Ashlyn, surprisingly, the most episodes directed by women is Enterprise. Okay! Yes, and it's actually 89.7% men and 10.3% women. Oh my god, 10%. I was expecting something else. <laughs> no, that's the largest one. So I think, Ashlyn, it's so important that we look at those numbers. Like, comparatively, we have our old Trek and then our new Trek, essentially. And just to see how, yeah, like, it's growing more diverse. And, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I didn't really look at trends here when I was looking at how many people work behind the cameras because there are so many names. So I pulled out a few, and as well as costume and set design. So I feel like there is such a talent. Like there's so much incredibly hard work that goes into costume and set design that it's like absolutely crazy. I also feel like we're at the Oscars. Like I'm like reading the nominees for costume and set. <laughs> I was just thinking that, and I was about yeah. to say like, I hope this isn't the part where you guys are going to sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but instead, I hope every time you read a name, you are dancing and yeah. you are so excited to hear about these groundbreaking women. Yes, exactly. Um, so costume design for Star Trek Beyond, I just got to say, like, all those costumes were epic. I, like, am obsessed with those jackets that they wear. The leave jackets. Oh, it's amazing. Yes. So that was Sana Hayes. Jayla's outfit, too. Yeah. They all look incredible. Crawl, so good. Um, and then Gersha Phillips is doing incredible work in Discovery. She did the entire look of Queen Giorgio um, with that um, incredible crown, the gold, all of that. Set director Karen Maffey um, did 2009 and Into Darkness. So the first time they had asked, I think she was, oh no, this is the next person. But yeah, anyway, love that. The sets are amazing. It's so it's so crazy to think about like people having to build a literal whole world i'm like that's insane yeah i mean they never did that in tos <laughs> they just used the same three rocks exactly <laughs> and painting yeah um and then we have emily poulin who was the first assistant art director for discovery and um tamara devrell who did production design for discovery and the short treks and i just gotta say like those short treks are like mini movies they're absolutely gorgeous like the amount of work that goes into one of those, like, what, 10-minute episodes? I mean, I cry every time I watch yeah. a short track. Even if it's a Same. funny one, I'm like, it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and then to wrap it up here, art director Sandy Vizanano is one of the only people I could find from, like, older Trek who did Next Generation. So uh, it was interesting. There was not and not quite a lot of names for costume and designers and stuff and there are you know a lot of people that maybe aren't credited or you know don't get that full credit they deserve which is crazy it really is and i've just also loved to see like how many women there are um mm -hmm. in these fields and i think in some ways it's maybe like a little bit more accessible for people to enter these fields if they are women as long as they can get past kind of the stereotype of it being a yeah. male role. But once you're in it, it's not like mm -hmm. you're really in the spotlight the same way that the actors and directors are. Yeah. And so in that way, because it's more underground, I feel like it's easier for women to start filtering in. And so totally. I, I think, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, I know what um, you mean. I just think it's cool that as we are able to get more and more females 
on stage, they are being supported by this like strong backbone of yes. women behind the scenes who have been there for years and yes. um, are groundbreaking. Yeah. And they have to fight through also the stereotypes of like being strong enough to like hold up that boom mic all day or hold a camera or build these like sets from scratch. You know, there's a physical labor aspect that I think like goes so hand in hand with people thinking men are, are more equipped to do the task. And it's like, nope, women are just as equipped. Yeah, surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so that, that stuff is just amazing. I love it. And so with that, we have their camera work people as well. I pulled names, but there are a ton of women. Like, this is really cool to see. I looked on IMDb, and just you can go and, like, look at, at people, and it says, like, cast and crew, and it gives you the entire, entire cast and ev- or entire crew that worked behind all of this stuff. But we have a couple of people in Picard, like Sierra Hayworth and Amber Michelle Marr, and um, and like they did utility, digital utility, and video assistant engineering. So I also think like wow, all these incredible engineers and women in STEM too. Like we got a shout out. It's amazing. Absolutely. Also Julie Nig, Aaron Palmer, Marcella Ramirez. They all worked on Discovery. Marcella Ramirez was the first key assistant camera, which is a huge position on TNG, DS9, and Voyager. So just incredible. Denise Oduka was in Star Trek Generations, Insurrection, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise. So just following the, the franchises and the movies. That's so cool. So versatile. Amazing. I love it. Yeah. Um, also, I think a role that is often overlooked on science fiction shows like this is the role of a science consultant. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, this is another like STEM field, you know. Dr. Aaron McDonald is someone who was a consistent science consultant on Star Trek. Um, Aaron McDonald has been to a, like a million different cons. I met her for the first time when I was at Starfest all these years ago. Oh. She did this panel on the, the physics of Star Trek and the science behind Star Trek, and it was so fascinating. She helped me write the science for this novel I was working on for NaNoWriMo. Uh, she's incredible, and she actually just hosted a couple panels at Mission Chicago. So, and last year, she became Star Trek's official science consultant with the beginning of season three of Discovery. So that is epic. Like, she is officially consulting for Trek, and all these years, she's just been in the Trek world, and they finally recognized that, like, she can do amazing things for Trek and brought her onto the family and so I think that that is so cool I love hearing about these women who are just they love space and they love science and they want to make sure that the show gets it accurate and I love that they have these science consultants but there's not a lot of them yeah absolutely yeah so um I looked on Memory Alpha's science consultant page, and there are only three total (laughs) people. This is crazy. We have Debbie Merrick, who wrote the reference book for Star Trek Encyclopedia. Amazing! She co-wrote it. So, like, that is, like, the most epic thing. I mean, you have to literally know all about Star Trek (laughs) to write Encyclopedia. Seriously. So... Um, and then Carolyn Porco, who is an American planetary scientist who served on 2009 Star Trek as a consultant on planetary science and imagery. So, like, yeah, they definitely needed her for 2009 because it was beautiful. <laughs> Absolutely. Man, that, yeah. I mean, how cool is it to break into that subject because, yeah, yeah I feel like that's definitely a male-dominated role. <laughs> yes, Absolutely. <laughs> 
Um, well, I think now we should move on to authors. So yes. these are women who haven't written an episode of Star Trek, but are known published authors for Star Trek novels. The giant, of course, is Dr. Una McCormack. So she was actually like sanctioned by official Star Trek because she was given the scripts to Picard. So she knew what was going to happen before the series came out. And she wrote a like prelude or like a, a prequel basically mm -hmm. to the series. And I know Rihanna has read it and has told me to read it about a thousand times. And I really mm -hmm. want to. It's my understanding that she really fleshes out everything that goes on before the show starts. Yeah, The Last Best Hope is incredible, and I learned so much more about Picard during the Romulan evacuation plan and all of that stuff, and it informs so much of who he becomes in the series, and she's just a phenomenal writer. I actually listened to an interview with her where she was talking about her process is really like, well, the material's there, it has a beginning and end, and I just need to fill in the gaps. And so, but she so beautifully recreates these characters that feel so much like the ones we know and love from the series and it's just incredible to see and she's written quite a few other star trek books the way to the stars the autobiography of Catherine janeway and i heard on the interview as well as that she's writing a rafi novel currently which i would literally pass out like rafi is becoming one of my favorite picard characters ah. <laughs> yeah oh amazing i really want to read that yeah i want to hear her get into rafi's head and oh it's gonna be amazing absolutely um, well, some of the other female writers we have here are Paula Block. She co-wrote with her husband, The Secrets of Star Trek Insurrection. She also wrote Star Trek 101, Star Trek The Original Series 365, Star Trek The Next Generation 365, Star Trek The Original Tops Trading Card Series, Star <laughs> Trek Costumes, Five Decades of Fashion from the Final Frontier, and of course, the famous The Art of Star Trek Discovery. Um, okay, I love this, this versatile, yeah, she co-wrote with her husband, I love that, that they're just like geeking out in their house writing these incredible novels. I am jealous, that sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and then also we have Kristen Beyer, who's known for her Voyager novels. She is a staff writer also on Discovery, and she is co-creator and executive producer of Picard. Which... So I love this, because yeah. writers and directors and like, you know, it goes so hand in hand, the writing, and people were saying all this weekend, all the actors were saying that, like, Star Trek, especially in Enterprise, like, the script is God, so, like, literally they could not get any of the words wrong, and we've heard Aaron Sorkin do the same thing on the West Wing, like, there's some shows where, like, you stick to the script no matter what, and so that, it's just amazing to think about these women who, like, like, like Kristen Bayer, who is now, like, writing for Discovery, and how her words are God, literally. <laughs> It's amazing. Rihanna, am I reading this right? It says that 97 <laughs> numbered titles in the original Star Trek novel line, 58 of them were written by women. Can you explain that Correct. a little bit? Yeah, so this is a crazy fact I found. Um, <laughs> I love crazy facts. <laughs> <laughs> this is written by Tim Haley on his blog, um, Van Lee at WordPress. And so I was reading this article called The Women Writers Behind Pocketbook's 1980s Star Trek Novel Line, which was the original or one of the original Star Trek novel lines um, that, as we know, if you listen to our motion picture episode uh, in our movie series, Gene Ronberry started off that with his novel, The Motion Picture. And, oh my God. Uh, incredible. And so this is what skyrocketed this. And it's actually amazing because women are writing these novels. Like, we just don't 
think about it or like we you don't think that women would be writing for star trek novels in the 80s even because we see that there's not many women writing for star trek novels currently but he gives an entire list on his blog and again this will be on the patreon but of these incredible women who wrote these just pocket books you know sort of pulp sci-fi but with star trek characters and like some of these some of these covers are incredible. Like we've got, it's just the classic novel cover, you know, where it's like very dramatic and McCoy's like half in shadow and Kirk's got his hands up and there's like flying Romulan warbirds and it's just a great time. And so those 58 women killing it. (laughs) And so actually there's a statistic I read in another article about why this sort of decline in women writers has been happening since the original series. Um, As we saw that it skyrocketed in the 80s, but there was even women writing in the 1970s. There was about 35% were, and then it started declining by 1990. There was only 31%. The 2000s, there was 25 And now in the 2010s, which now we're out of the 2010s, but... Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> that's scary. That's for another day. Um, was, like, lower than 10%. Okay, so, so I have a suggestion. I have a suggestion. Yeah. Fan fiction. Yes, I think that's the exact answer, Ashlyn. Because uh, the internet's rising through this whole area you're talking about of the novels mm-hmm. declining. And so I think women finally had a place that was accessible where everyone could publish their fanfiction. Yeah. AO3, I'm talking to you. Fanfiction.net. Um, yes. Archive of our own. I, I already said that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, it, you know, people can finally publish what they want to on the internet. And so going through the steps of actually publishing a novel is really long and arduous. Yes. Thank you, Ashlyn. And I think this is the perfect time to talk about our fanfic writers. Oh, my heroes. Literally my heroes. Another thing that our wonderful panel that I went to mentioned was that fanfic writers are like one of the main core of Star Trek and it's particularly female writers because like, it's really incredible to think about, but like there are probably so many more women writers than you could ever imagine writing Star Trek fan fiction and like think writing about Star Trek and creating those stories that sometimes I've read fan fiction that's better than novels you pick up at a Barnes and Noble. Like easy, easy. Oh, you know? easy. Well, I know that so much work goes into writing really good fan fiction. Rihanna has written fan fiction in the past and Oh, like my whole life went almost. I mean, yeah. since I was old enough to write, I was writing fan fiction and I still am to this day. I feel like it's a valuable tool to develop your skills as a writer because you're taking characters that are already developed and you're putting them in these new situations that haven't been thought up yet or haven't been described in exactly that situation like because your brain everyone's brain is unique and so i think it's a wonderful tool to becoming a writer and also just a fantastic medium fan i mean i've been a fan of fan fiction for so long and Mm -hmm. it's like shaped my fandom so much to the point like when I read so much Star Trek fan fiction, like we all start to agree as a unit that certain things are canon yeah, because absolutely. they are mentioned so frequently and so agreed upon in this fan fiction that I forget sometimes when new Star Trek data is released. Like an example is Spock's full name yeah. has just been announced by Paramount. Mm-hmm. Also, Paramount is like out of control. They're like Completely. announcing the new Kirk. They're announcing season three of Picard has like all of TNG and like all of yeah. the new actors in it. 
They're announcing Spock and Mbega's full name, but yeah. Spock's full name has been canon in fanfiction for so long, yeah. I didn't even think this was news. Like, I don't Same. know how to pronounce it, but I've read like it Sai a lot. Chai and Spock or something, yeah. I Chaya. Don't forget Chaya. Harold. Harold as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> this has been going around because apparently Jane Wyatt, who plays Amanda Grayson in the movies and in Journey to Babel, she, somebody asked her at a convention, what is Spock's first name? And she replied without flinching, Harold. <laughs> and so this, yes. this has been going around. <laughs> Please put Harold Yeah, I just, I, I can't even speak about it because it's so amazing. Like I'm imagining, um, and I, I think I saw this in a meme where Amanda and Sarah are talking when Spock is born and Amanda says, I want to have a middle name. And he's like, that's so human. And she's like, well, on earth, like middle names don't even matter. So let's do yeah. Harold. <laughs> I love it. I think that should become canon. <laughs> I'm dead. But anyway, yeah. this, like, all these amazing ideas can only be grown in fan fiction. And yeah. I just can't express my love enough. And even for me, like, when I started reading fan fiction in middle school, I would mm -hmm. say, like, Star Trek fan fiction was some of the first ones I was reading that led me yeah. into Sherlock fan fiction. And mm -hmm. it just goes on and on. But especially Star Trek was so exciting to me because there was so much that we could get out of these episodes, but that seemed like subtext. And yet we could go online and read a story that exactly fit the subtext that we wanted. Yes, thank you. So Ashley. it's just an important part of fandom. And it was literally started, all of fan fiction was started by a woman. And like, horny housewives in the 60s let's like yeah. call it like it is like Kirk, yeah. especially like fan fiction was started because people shipped kirk and spock spurk totally. uh kirk spock slash whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. um this was the birth of fan fiction and it started with amazing women taking time out of their day to publish like long long fan fictions and also like distributing them by hand in their community yeah. Yeah. Literally, Jennifer Gutridge is actually the first woman to start fan fiction. It's actually a 40-page, single-sided, single-spaced Kirk Spock fan fiction that is called The Ring of Shawshern. It was written in 1968, and so this is just incredible. And so she literally wrote it as a Kirk slash Spock story, and that's what sort of created slash fiction which is amazing too because it's giving like a voice to the queer community this is something that has been so important to me and in my like development and realizing who i am was so much in credit to fan fiction because i would read all of these queer stories and realize how it's just normal and it's just who they want to love and like placing myself in a lot of those queer stories helped me to realize that i was queer you know and so it's really cool to think about that and how much it like has shaped me but yeah, so Jennifer Gutridge, she like privately circulated this Kirk and Spock story, like you were saying, Ashlyn, and it literally was incredible. And the thing that is like very frustrating is that this publication ended up like 
taking it without credit and publishing it because Jennifer never wanted it published. She said, like, I want to meet Leonard at a con and not get sued. And not in court, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Not in court, yeah, exactly. And so... The Alien Brothers were the fanzine who published this story without her consent. But also, I believe it was after her death because Mm -hmm. this story was published in the fanzine, which was all Star Trek fan fiction in 1987. And Mm -hmm. they... There's like historical sources believe yeah. that the story, The Ring of Saucern, was published as early as 1967. There is, I was even wow. reading lore about this because this is yeah. probably the first fan fiction ever written mm-hmm. um, where she's a British woman and she wrote this story. What's weird is that in the UK, it's like two years later. So mm-hmm. yeah, at first you think, how could she have written this? Like, Or in the UK, they don't get to see the Star Trek episodes that air until about like two years or a year later. Mm-hmm. And so first you can think, how would she have seen a muck time? Because the story is about Spock and Kirk stuck in a cave. They're trapped on a planet and Spock goes through Ponfar. Classic, mm-hmm. which to me, I'm like, Classic. LOL, that's like the most basic plot there is. Yeah. But there's a reason. It's because that exactly. was the first plot. <laughs> and that was the most like queer tonally episode of the original series. In my yes. And, and that's how it starts in season two. And so yeah. she was actually at a convention in I, it was Canada, or the United States or something yeah. where she saw this episode before the UK did and she went home and she wrote this amazing fan fiction. It just caught on like wildfire. And so the fact that about 10 years later, they're publishing this in this fanzine, also just want to shout out to Prince Nimoy on Tumblr because mm-hmm. they have this fantastic story where they have been looking for this fanzine called Alien Brothers for years and years and everyone mm-hmm. has been waiting for more details about like can I read this fan fiction does it exist yeah but people who found it in the south were literally burning it and saying yeah. like this is not okay like this is, this is queer it's not good yeah. um and so pretty much like most of the copies were destroyed and mm-hmm. so it has it was really on the hunt for a long time to see if any of the copies existed and so finally Prince Nimoy after years of vigilance found out (laughs) that there was a library in texas at a university that actually had this had a copy donated to their library and so she drove 15 hours round trip to go to this library to take pictures of it or try to scan it if she could for the good of the star trek community and so like she if you go check out her tumblr um and if you search like the ring of shoshern this post will come up it's unbelievable we'll, we'll send you that link oh yeah we'll send you the link Patreon. yeah even yeah. better and so it's just a fantastic journey and it, it's very like my energy i would definitely yes. drive 15 hours round trip to find a like extremely rare edition of gay porn essentially yeah, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. i would drive any hours for the first fan fiction <laughs> especially since it's star trek this is so legendary and it just tells me so much about how like kirk and spock has always been subtextually queer and it's just sort of like gratifying for me as well as a person who has always shipped them and who has always like seen it watching the episodes to know that like quite a few people particularly women saw it absolutely well and i always felt weird growing up because like especially in middle school early high school I never told anyone except Rihanna because <laughs> that I was reading yeah. fan fiction and I had no one really to share it with except people I would meet online 
like yeah. Tumblr, you know, it was a fantastic mm-hmm. resource for that. Totally. Um, YouTube was a way that like we would exchange fan fictions with other yeah, like Spurk accounts totally. and fan videos. Yeah. yeah. And so I can't even imagine how hard it would be to access this in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. and how just like extremely taboo it was. And I feel like now it's definitely more open than it was even 10, 15 years ago. I feel like it was very not cool to talk about. Yeah fan fiction and especially oh, slash fiction mm-hmm. at any point so yeah. It, yeah thank you to all the women who have pushed this forward and it adds so much to the fandom community love inclusion respect i just mm, i love it oh it's incredible yeah i mean there's so many queer and people of color stories and perspectives that allow me to like expand my worldview too because then I'm also but I'm also seeing it through my favorite characters so it's like the perfect medium for so many people because it's entertaining and like I learned a lot of life lessons it's really cool yeah even I had a little getaway to Florida a couple weeks ago Mm -hmm. and I just whenever I'm on vacation I just end up reading fan fiction because that's where I feel really comfortable and I read a fantastic fic it was a spurk fic and Kirk got turned into a woman because mm-hmm. of this alien, like, gave him the gift. The, yeah. The story's called The Gift. And so for a month, he had to be a woman. And it really, it, like, was a great discussion about, like, how one feels just totally wrong in their body. Mm-hmm. And um, just feeling like I am not the right gender. And it really gave me, like, even more love and respect for people who are transitioning and people who are realizing that, this is not my body. I feel yeah. more comfortable as a different gender. And I just didn't expect that from a Star Trek fan fiction. But we have yeah. such amazing authors that that's the kind of high quality stuff that I'm getting. So thank yeah. you. And also like send a comment to those people because there's so many people that don't get any recognition for all this beautiful writing that I think is publishable work. You know, a lot of times I'm reading stuff and I, I know that I always get this like instant boost of serotonin and joy when people will comment on my Star Trek fan fiction and be like, oh my God, this is like something I never thought of or whatever. It's just wonderful to have a community of people who are thinking about the same things and we can express it to each other. Absolutely. Oh man. Yeah. Well, I love this fan fiction, love sesh. So also, as well as in the fan community fan fiction, there was also a first the first ever um, publication about Star Trek was called Spockanalia, and it was edited by Devra Langsam and Shinra Comford, and it was like featuring modern fans, in-depth analytical articles, theoretical essays on the nuances of Vulcan culture, um, and then that's where the, uh, like, you know, essentially sharing their headcanons with people, and then, of course, there was fan fiction in that zine as well, and so... Roddenberry himself called Spockanalia required reading for the staff, and several cast members and writers, including Leonard Nimoy, who wrote the foreword to the first issue, contributed letters and interviews to the zine. And so That's this is incredible. And all this info is coming from cafemom.com, <laughs> um, a amazing article that essentially goes through by Victoria McNally. Thank you for writing this article. All of the history of fan fiction. And I thought that was one of the most fascinating things ever. I really want a copy of Spockanalia now. (laughs) Absolutely. I will drive 15 hours for that. (laughs) Round tripper, one way, I'm there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same. 
Oh my gosh. So the, yeah. Oh, I just, I love all of this information. I love being able to hype up women and mm -hmm. one medium that is not great for a podcast, but we do want to talk about is also fan art because mm -hmm. that too, I think as much as fan fiction is a wonderful way to bring this world to life is to see other people's versions of these characters can be really moving and can add the subtext that you really want and what you're looking for in a show, just like fan fiction. And so we're going to be posting this on Patreon. And I also just want to remind you all that Patreon does, like everything that we post that are not episodes is free and accessible for everyone to view. Yeah. So um, please go to our Patreon and check out this amazing fan art that we have. Um, Teresa Bernard did a beautiful Star Trek oil painting of the Enterprise in space. It's just, it's gorgeous. Yeah, so Kat Jer Jerchish and Francesca Rowe, um, they wrote, they did these beautiful, beautiful Kirk and Spock fan art um, that look kind of like uh, stained glass paintings, in my opinion. Like, they have a very beautiful coloring and everything. Um, and actually, there's this beautiful article on Extra magazine that Kat Gergich wrote was that she said, met a trans man who collected fan art of Kirk and Spock in love. And, and it's amazing because his name is Jason Hildenbrand, and he has one of the, America's biggest collection of Star Trek fan art. And now he's sharing it with the world. And so this article is so cool because it talks about like and it shows the beautiful fan art. So it's just really gorgeous and so cool to think about people like trading these collected pieces and works with each other and I think it's similar to fan fiction in a way that like you get to like practice your art in this beautiful way because you can parallel these characters and also just like create stuff that you could never see in the show or the movies. Absolutely. I love it. I mean I also think about how fan art I really got into with a lot of like novels that I was obsessed with and like when yeah. I was younger because there wasn't a visual representation. And yes. so it's just so valuable. Like even in something like Star Trek or like like Harry Potter fan fiction or Harry Potter fan art, like there's mm -hmm. such a world that you can bring. So I'm just totally. so happy and that all these interpretations. Like yes. I think it also allows people of color to see themselves in these roles more. Um, I love seeing fan art of a character, maybe a different race or gender from what they're portrayed in the series, you know? And I'm just like I love this. Yeah. Um well so this, I think, brings us full circle now because I just want to end this with talking about cosplayers. We talked in the very beginning of the episode about how Rihanna had a fantastic time at Mission Chicago and all the amazing fans and cosplayers that she saw. And I just think that cosplaying is a wonderful form of self-expression. And yeah. I myself sometimes get through my hardest days by doing like 1% cosplay where yeah. maybe I'll wear my Star Trek shirt. And actually I did this all through college. Anytime I had a big test, I would wear my TOS shirt that has like the Enterprise on it and the Captain's Creed on the back. Every time yeah. I had a big final, that's the shirt that I wore. And I feel like becoming a character can help you to acquire the attributes of that character that you admire and love so much. I always feel very empowered when I'm cosplaying and I always feel like a kindred spirit to other cosplayers that I run into at a con yes. or just in real life. Anyone who has like a live long and prosper sign on their office, I'm instantly wanting to have a conversation with. 
Yes, absolutely. I love cosplaying because I think also it helps me to see like myself in a different way. Like when I would put on my trail spots, I would feel like really pretty and sexy. And I'm like, okay, like I can do, you know, like I am all those things. I just have to remember it. And sometimes I go through my favorite characters to do that. And I, I just love that about especially the Trek community because there's so many characters to cosplay and so many people to like, that, that you could want to be. Like I, it took me so long to narrow down my cosplays for Mission Chicago because I wanted to be all of these incredible characters. But yeah, it's amazing. Everyone should look at our posts, especially Instagram, to see Rihanna's outfits because remind me, I know you were Niners on the last day. You have an epic yeah. photo of you holding the yes. baseball. I was Esri Dax on Sunday. I was Judzia Dax from Trials and Tribulations on Saturday. And then I was Tilly from Discovery on Friday. So... It was just amazing. So amazing. I've gone yeah. as Dax multiple times as Judzia mm-hmm. Dax. Um, that's my go-to generally. Yeah. We've got our hair and everything. Oh, yeah. I've done. I've been a Hura for Halloween a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's just amazing. And I think also, like, not only does it make you feel stronger and more empowered, but also it gives you a chance to not be yourself for a little while. Yeah. And that also is amazing because it's hard yes. to be ourselves a lot of the time, especially during uh, this crazy world we have right now. And so yeah. just being free to walk around as Spock with a whale, you know, that's yeah. all you're known as, which was an amazing yes. cosplayer. Shout out to Spock with a whale. <laughs> yeah. Who I asked to take a picture, and they immediately mind melded with Grace. Like I didn't have to ask; like they just did it. So thank you. I mean, instant celebrity. Yeah. I just also want to add too that I think cosplaying is a really safe space for the trans community too, because you can be a man or a woman or anything you want when you're Mm -hmm. cosplaying, and that's not only true of the Star Trek community, but any cosplaying, any fandom community. Um, Absolutely. Because it doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> you just yeah, do literally. whatever you want. I remember one year I was Indiana Jones for Halloween. Like, I had a short wig, <laughs> and it was amazing. I had I had yeah. my whip out. like. <laughs> oh, totally. I, I really love cosplaying men. Like, it's so fun to just step into a different, like, side of yourself. And, yeah, I, it's amazing. Also, huge, huge shout-out to Samantha um, Cristoforetti, who is an astronaut who wore... A Starfleet uniform in space, guys, oh. and and gals and non-binary pals, listen up. This is crazy. Like she, this is like my dream come true because I am a huge Star Trek fan. Obviously, a huge fan of NASA and space programs and like space in general. But I'm terrible at astronomy and math and science. And like I would definitely become an astronaut if if I like had that sort of mind for it and just to see her is like the most inspiring thing ever and that she's a trek fan is like doubly incredible amazing and oh it just makes me so excited i think there's still hope for us in 40 years for forced contact you know (laughs) oh yeah i think so too i yeah and i also just a last point about the cosplay i think also it's important for people of color to get to see themselves in like a tangible role i saw an amazing um cisco i saw a tweet yes. of him where it looked exactly like cisco like oh he, he had the him. exact beard exact like crisp uniform it was amazing oh no. i should have esri should have gone and found him <laughs> and so oh, i awesome. i just think like people can you know re- regardless like you you can just be who you love regardless of race and 
Yeah, like I found, I, I saw a tweet about someone being like, it's amazing to see so many cosplayers who actually have like um, Vulcan ears that are like black, you know, and stuff like that. It's just amazing because that was definitely not a thing back in the 60s when they're, when people were in Spock ears to conventions. Yeah. Oh, I love to see it. Yeah. Same. Rihanna, I feel so strong and powerful. Yes, same. <laughs> I loved that we did this episode, and I really love just getting to, like, nerd out with you in a different way this week, and um, we also have amazing, amazing things on the horizon. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Ashlyn? Yeah, so we have next week, guys, next week is our extreme celebration because there are so many women on Discovery, like so many women in that show. We have decided to go crazy and honor every single one. And so we are delighted to announce that Giraffe, that's right, from the Strange New Pod, is going to be joining us for this episode. And we're gonna talk with her. We're gonna honor every single woman that appears in Discovery. Um, Don't worry, it's not gonna be a four hour episode, but we will honor each of these women in a very special way. So we really hope that you can tune in next week as we talk about the women in Discovery. We have even more guests coming up for the end of our series. And so I think especially for feminism, it is important to include as many voices and as many perspectives as possible. So we are very excited about our guests. And also, okay, guys, I know (laughs) you've been waiting for a long time because normally... Like, we get a next series picked out pretty quickly because we're both really excited, but I've kind of been sitting on this one because I don't really know what the vibe is. I've really enjoyed talking so deeply and seriously about uh, feminism. But, you know, I think the next series has to be something a little bit lighter. (laughs) And so the next one we will be doing for the Dura Sisters podcast is Fake Out Deaths. And I also feel like it's very important to announce this the week of Easter. (laughs) Because Jesus was the biggest fake out death of all. (laughs) And Star Trek just followed suit. (laughs) Yeah, so I am very delighted to talk about all the times we think the main characters are dead. Oh, but they're fine. (laughs) They're good the next one. Ashlyn. I am thrilled to talk about this series next. We're going to have a freaking blast. Yeah, I, I started to make... Actually, I, I didn't even start. I'm not going to lie. I finished the watch list for every season, for every episode already. And Badass. there's almost too many fake-out deaths. So for anyone thinking, oh, how are they going to fill hours and hours of content? Don't you freaking worry, because there's yeah. so many characters who you forgot died and came back. <laughs> Totally. She was reading some off to me today and I was floored. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm so overjoyed. So as always with the Dura Sisters podcast, there's good things coming. There's good series in the past and we're just all happiness here. Yeah. I mean, literally right before this, we recorded our Patreon episode on the TAS episode, The Slaver Weapon. And oh my God, it was such a blast. And so... I just really love what we're doing here, Ashlyn, and I want to thank you all for tuning in because you're amazing, and thanks for letting us talk in your ear. 
saying women's names for uh, an hour. <laughs> and the Oscar goes to... <laughs> DC Fontana. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brianna. Um, yeah, it was great to have this type of episode. And I'm excited also to be finishing up animated series pretty soon. We're getting towards the end of that. Yeah. Um, on our Patreon, so you are really missing out if you are not following our Patreon review series of the animated series. We have literally like hours of content, and also yeah. I just want to throw out there that if you really love and support our podcast, the best thing you can do for us is to write a review. If you are on Apple Podcasts, Seriously. please write a little review. Um, tweet us, you know, share us on your story. The word of mouth is the strongest way to get the podcast out there. And we also pretty much die anytime someone says something nice about us. So yeah. um, it, it also like makes us happy if that makes you feel better. So yeah. I mean, I died of happiness all weekend when people would come up to me and like know that I was from the podcast. It's yeah. just unbelievable. So once again, thank you times a thousand for listening to the Dora Sisters podcast, and we can't wait to talk Discovery with you all next week. Woo. Thank you for listening. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the eighth episode of our feminism series, where Ashlyn and Brianna will discuss the amazing women in Star Trek Discovery. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok, and especially our merch on Threadless. All links can be found in the bio of any of our social media pages. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks the animated series, a review of the movie Galaxy Quest, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, villains, and movies. If you haven't heard a particular series yet, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro and outro is by Jerry Goldsmith. Joanne Strong? What's her name? Phyllis. <laughs> Phyllis. I'm just straight up making up names. Joanne. Um, Joey, Joanne, Joanne, Joanne Strong. <laughs> you don't exist, but that's okay. <laughs> um, well, I think too, Ashlyn, you and I have a lot of similar opinions. Like you'll notice on the show, for the most time, we're agreeing <laughs> with each other. Say it again, because my drink blurped. <laughs> 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 <laughs>